Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. Open loops. You must listen to the open loops, a theme park for absurd beliefs and systems of integration between the mind and the creative spirit. Open loops. I consider it an affront to my family that you haven't heard about Anchor. It's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. Okay, let me let me just lay this out for you. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And, and get this, okay? Anchor will distribute your podcast for you. So it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. You can make money, moolah from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. You're craving some intellectual stimulation. You're looking to go to a place in your head, a place that's wild, a place that you have no control over what's coming next, the place where you go, where somebody gets you to the ellipses, but you don't know what's on the other side. Let me tell you right now, what's on the other side is a head trip. That's a destination resort. It's a theme park for the intellect and the imagination. Conspiracies, magic, mysteries, secrets, paranormal, the just plain weird. It's got a rifle place here in the circus of your three ring imagination. Oh, yeah. Who even knows what that means? It's deliberately vague, but that's because Open Loops is a theme park for the intellect and the imagination. And part of exploring the abstract is the unknowing. Certainly when it comes to demons and possession and the work of people like Ed and Lorraine Warren, the top demonologists uh, that were, they, they did their life work. Uh, if you've ever seen the movie The Conjuring, their life work was going to Amityville Horror House and uh, actually dealing with getting rid of demonic spirits in people, in inanimate objects, poltergeists. David basically came on this show because he wrote a book and he wanted to come back. Really loved my first interview with him. He came back and uh, he wanted to be like, Greg, all this stuff is utterly ridiculous. I'm going to prove that demons don't make any sense whatsoever. And I let him. And I know that there are people out there that are going to say, Greg, why, why, why have a skeptic on? Like, why have somebody, or at least, because David, I will give David Daniel Gonzalez credit. He's a show called Mystic Skeptic Radio, and he leaves room for the possibility that there might be something magical out there. 
But with his background in biblical history, with his experience in terms of his actual research into these issues, um, as, as a practicing religious person that really knows the ins and outs and studies the science, study the literature, um, he doesn't think demonology makes a lot of sense. He certainly presents some interesting cases. My conclusion by the end of it is that his arguments do make a ton of sense. Uh, and look, I can't necessarily fit it into like fifth dimensional awakening and all the other stuff that I have people on the show to talk about. But I certainly wanted to bring him on and have this discussion because, like I said from the beginning, all sides of talking about these topics are just as interesting as if these topics are real. That's what Open Loops is. It's keeping the conversation about the field open, no matter what perspective you're coming from. Tell me one day that demons are real. I will have a de I mean, there are people that I, I know. I, I'm looking actually forward to. There's a world-famous demonologist that I'm actually in the process of trying to get on because I want the other side. There are people that are exorcisms that have experienced things that seem beyond the realm of mere suggestion. And David Daniel Gonzalez has come on, host of Mystic, Mystic Skeptic Radio Show podcast. He's come on to tell me, Greg, even those people that you're going to have on are complete bunk. So, you ready for a debunking episode? Why not? It's demon-centric. It's Halloween spirit time. I wanted to bring David on again. I think he nailed it uh, in, in terms of keeping me intellectually stimulated the entire time because there's a big difference between just completely dismissing something and then being like, hey, here's historically why this doesn't make sense. It's thought-provoking. I'm curious your thoughts. If you enjoy Open Loops, please do subscribe in Apple Podcasts, rate and leave a review so we can keep these conversations going. Here is my second conversation with demonologist debunker, in this context, uh, author, podcast host, scholar, David Daniel Gonzalez. Ladies and gentlemen, we have a return guest. So excited to have him back on. David Daniel Gonzalez of the Mystic Skeptic Radio Show podcast. Uh, and tonight, there is demand for it. <laughs> Very much, uh, I was leading that demand because it was an interesting topic. Uh, he wrote a book, Demonology of Ancient Israel, The Truth About Demons, possession and exorcism, raiders of the unknown. I mean, so many buzzwords there that are getting me going. I'm fascinated by your central thesis. Um, tell us, give me, what, what's a little background about this book, David? And thank so, you for coming on again. Oh, uh, you're welcome. Um, the reason I wrote the book is because um, I was working as, uh, as a chaplain at a hospital. And, you know, the chaplain program is very secular in the sense you're learning counseling you're learning how to deal with your own emotions during trauma during crisis how to not impose your own views on the patients but it was funny somebody brought up um you know you, you meet all kinds of different people but somebody brought up that 
one patient um, was seeing creatures in their room and that um, they were very frightened and they saw something like a dragon. And the first thing that people, you know, it's weird because you have a spectrum of different ministers. So you have people who are very traditional and then people who are very liberal or, or orthodox on their views. Mm. And the people who are more traditional, they're like, oh my goodness, uh, there might be a demon in there. And then the people who are more um, liberal, they're like, ah, whatever. They're just right. hallucinating. The, the medicine made them sick. But then I, I started thinking, I was like, if we don't tackle the problem of, of demonology, how can we be sure? Hmm. Both Judaism and Christianity believe originally that all illness came from the demonic realm. So, you know, I had another fellow chaplain tell me, we are doctors of the soul. Some people go to a, a, a normal doctor for their physical. They come to us for the spiritual. And it's like, well, if you're a doctor of the soul, you need to know your stuff. <laughs> yeah. So if someone comes and tells you, I think I'm demon possessed. I think I'm demon possessed. Call a priest. But first of all, you need to ask them, are you even Catholic? Because they've called priests on people that weren't even Catholic. And then second, huh. the, the priest is not going to come uh, if you're not a member. If you're, and they only have one um, exorcist in the whole uh, diocese. So you also have to know about Catholic uh, demonology. But most of all, what is it about demons that people at that time, they thought that leprosy, blindness, uh, epilepsy, everything came from demons. So as modern men, we could say, ah, it's just a bunch of baloney. People are ignorant. They had no uh, understanding of the scientific uh, world. And they just said everything's a demon. Well, actually, it's more complicated than that. So if you want me to start from the beginning, we start from where did the, even the idea of a demon come from? Yeah. I have no idea. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay. So, so if you look at different cultures, you know, we were talking about Buddhism in the last show. It, there's these beautiful paintings that are like uh, Chinese paintings where they show people being good. They're in heaven or they're in like a, a heavenly realm. People being bad, they're in this fiery place where there's monsters and they're eating them and stuff like that. Same in medieval culture, uh, same in, in a bunch of different cultures you see that. So why is it that humans always uh, portray negative things with the demonic or these monsters or these um, beings that live under the earth? Well, psychologically speaking, you would say, well, anything that's bad is worldly and anything that is good is spiritual or heavenly. Mm -hmm. Well, that is, um, you know, that's something that you see uh, even in Greek mythology, people who were bad, they would throw them in Hades and then they would have to carry a boulder or a bird would pick, poke their eyes out. So a lot of medieval paintings that you see, they're more about Greek mythology and they're really about biblical understanding of, of demons or, or hell. But back in, in the times of the Babylonians, and we were talking about Abraham, they had these um, different little demons that were at fault for different things. So the force of evil are always associated with the bad things. Even in Pandora's... Um, uh, it wasn't a box. It was more of a, like a base. When she opened it, all the bad things came out. And in the picture, they show like these dark figures. So, but before you talk about demons, you have to talk about angels. Hmm. So back to the, the skeptic and all of us would say, well, first, is there a God? Second, does he have uh, servants? 
Third, does he have bad servants that go against what he wants? Because that's the you have to believe those three things before you go into the demonic stuff. And um, I don't know if you ever seen the movie um, The Conjuring. Oh yeah, that is my. When people ask me what is my favorite horror movie, that is usually the first one I say. Okay. Well, I have a lot of problems with country because not only do you have to believe in witches, you have to believe that witches come back and they get inside women only, just like in Evil Dead. They don't mess with right. men, they just get inside women. And then they have all these powers that you have to believe that somehow Satan or the occult give them. So before someone's able to be possessed by a witch, you have to believe that humans can transfer their souls to someone else, like a debuk. Uh, a divic, and mm-hmm. then he, and that's something is the Jewish demon for those that don't know, but it's not even a demon; it's actually a person. And then there's all these things, so so it becomes laughable because for you to take the story seriously, you have to acknowledge that all those things are real. So of course, let's, yeah. So so this is a skeptic in me. I'm gonna prove that demons don't exist. <laughs> okay, great. So. To be able to overcome the fear of demons, first you have to understand what demons are supposed to do. Um, and it's not that I'm trying to disprove the spiritual realm from a Judeo-Christian perspective, but I'm trying to disprove the idea that demons have powers that they were never given. It's, it's, if you ever watch the original Exorcist, they say, well, maybe it's all suggestion. Hmm. You bring a priest that believes there's a demon to a girl who believes the demon possessed, maybe by... Um, doing the right uh, right or ritual that somehow she's going to let go of that false assumption. So when, when the, we're talking about the creation of the Torah through Moses um, writings or Abraham's account, whatever, there was this idea that God was the source of, of intellect or, or spiritual realization for the Hebrews. And then God had a pantheon, of of servants they call it the divine council so uh if you watch the movie um clash of titans they show Zeus, and then you have hera and poseidon and all the guys like or whatever they're called by the greeks and then there's a name from the romans you have everybody chilling in heaven and they're looking down on earth well the canaanites had the same idea they had el was the the main god and then he had a son named uh, baal and then Baal had uh, cohorts, and they all have different people. So a lot of people, if you read Anita Diamond's um, The Red Tent, they say that the Israelites stole those ideas from the original people that lived in the land of Canaan. Hmm. And that that's where they developed the name, many names of God. So you have El Shaddai, Adonai, Elohim. All those names have a correlation from the deities of that place. Well, what's different from, from uh, Hebrew monotheism than from Canaanite um, polytheism is that uh, their gods had no problem with having multiple gods. They were all friends. It's like the super friends. Uh, <laughs> yeah. The God of the Israelites was very demanding and very um, self-limiting. So in Jewish tradition, they say that Adonai is the, the nurturing side of God. And the, well, actually El Shaddai is the nurturing side of God. And then Adonai is like the Lord. And then Elohim is his creative power. So each name has an attribute, but it's still the same being. You don't have multiple beings and multiple attributes. 
And then he's also holy or separate from his creation. So when he breathes onto the earth or, or the, the, spirit, the spirit of God dwells on the earth, then makes life sprout. It's a different um, creation story than the Babylonian or Canaanite one, where it's usually there's destruction, there, the waters is filled with monsters, and then the monsters come out, and then the children. So, so the story is, is more concrete and it's more uh, progressive in a positive way. So that'd be the difference between that and the Canaanite and Babylonian. Well, from there, you get this idea that the God of Israel is, uh, is a jealous God, that no other uh, deity can be allowed within the realm of the servants. Mm-hmm. That being the case, anything that is not God is uh, idolatry or is um, foreign. So if it's foreign, it's bad. So what happens when the Israelites are going through and they're developing their kingdom, any other deity becomes a source of, of strife, a source of evil in opposition to their deity. So when you see uh, the gods of the Canaanites, Molech, Dagon, Baal, Astarte, they start taking the um, attributes of demonic forces. Hmm. And the, the greatest example is when um, the Pharisees go up to Jesus and say, how can you believe this man? He is um, he exercises demons by the power of Baal Sebab. Baal Sebab is the the god of that area, and they would set up um, an altar, and people would defecate in it, and that would be the way they they worship their god. So Baal Sebab is the lord of the flies. Oh my gosh. But does, so, is that a real thing, or is that just entirely... The real thing. Was, so people defecated... Uh, it, it, what? Wait a minute, wait a minute. Just yeah. paint this picture for me. They defecated in, in worship of this god. Yes, but, you know, and, and you know, maybe not, because it, it's, it's kind of like when you read from the church fathers about heretics, they say, well, I know that guy was a Jew because he doesn't believe in, in Jesus. And it's like, well, maybe he, he wasn't a Jew, but he didn't believe in Jesus. Didn't, but like, so, so they make an accusation. So I would have to look up the source, but what is known from scholars is that that was the way they worshiped. Maybe the Israelites were accounting that those filthy people, they poop over there, they must be um, Canaanite. Right, right, right. That's an interesting so, theory. But that's, so, so what's funny is that there's a version of, of, the, of the Gospels of the, the New Testament mm-hmm. where they translate... Um, the stories of Jesus into modern language and the and the author had the audacity to instead of saying uh, he um, he does exorcisms by the power of Beelzebub he said he does exorcisms because he's a poopy face <laughs> wow okay okay and what he was trying to do is he was trying to like the historical um like connotation of what they were saying that's how offensive it was to call your bls above or to be associated with bls above that means that you dwelled in sewage and that your worship was worthless wow interesting okay sorry to interrupt i thought that was just an interesting historical so, moment but so then suddenly uh demons were associated with latrines oh and a, a professor of mine uh and i were in the bathroom and there was other people there and somebody said hi to the professor and he was very quiet. 
And then we came out of the bathroom. I said, why wouldn't you say hi to the guy? And he said, because in Jewish tradition, demons hang out in toilets. So hmm. I, I wouldn't want to participate in whatever they're doing. <laughs> <laughs> That's so interesting. That's a, they, we, we weren't taught that at Hebrew school. Um, I don't know if that's something that's worth thinking about or like how old, old school that is, if modern rabbinical thought has changed that. But I mean, is there any sort of concern we should have about uh, toilets as a modern day Jewish person? Well, let me tell you how I got scolded by the same professor. So we were talking about this, about health and healing and, and Jew, Jewish tradition. And, and he was saying, um, you know, the rabbis thought that demons um, were connected to illness. In the Talmud, it says that if you leave a, a cup of water outside overnight, and if you drink it, you can go blind because a demon has entered it or done something to it. Yeah. And there was a lot of superstitious ideas like that throughout the whole, um, even in the New Testament and the, this whole part of the spectrum of, of Jewish experience. So I told the rabbi, come on, man, you really, like, it says that, how can we as, as a modern man take that seriously? And he's like, well, you think you're so sophisticated and you think you're so knowledgeable. Tell me, how would you call something in meat or water that makes you sick? How would you describe that? So like, well, it's bad, it's, it's harmful. And he's like, what is a demon? A demon is something bad and harmful. So the language used by the ancients was a demon for a microbe, for a bacteria, for a virus, in lieu of not having the terminology that we have now. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, so we're getting, going back to Beelzebub, defecation, the, uh, the creation of the demon. I, I really I want to stay with you because I think it's important for you to disprove demons to me so so, so at least back. in judeo-christian tradition demons originally were a description of wickedness idolatry sexual impurity from the foreign countries surrounding the israelites you know in their land got it got it so so anything that was foreign was considered demonic question is do they have those powers that are attributed to them mm. so it says in different passages in Isaiah and Jeremiah that those who pray to demons, um, you know, they, they have nothing. Like, they either pray to demons and, and that's, they're doing bad for doing that, or that idols are nothing because they have no eyes. They have, they have eyes that not see, ears that cannot hear, mouths that cannot speak. So there's this iconoclastic battle between the living God the God that is active and, and is the source of creation and these false idols that have nothing to give, but the people give them attributes and they pray to them. And they, so, so there's an anti superstition, anti idolatry um, narrative that is created, but then it goes into the spiritual realm where uh, it says in Isaiah that people are praying to the she goats and there's different terms for the demons and some of them have to do with um, these almost like um, mythological characters that people believed in. So it was almost like a pan kind of thing where the ram becomes the, uh, I think um, in even the modern uh, satanic, satanic movement in, in America, they have a behemoth 
Mm. Like the ram with, and yeah. then children in front. So all that comes from uh, biblical ideas or from Near Eastern uh, thought. So in the movie The Exorcist, they have this uh, demon that is from from Babylon, and it's a winged winged lion that uh, he's the one that enters a girl. So, I thought that uh, was one of the most interesting parts of that movie. A- at least the beginning of The Exorcist I, is so. I, I just I, I feel like it's not discussed enough. Um, it, it in a way it makes it feel more real for me, even though it's complete. You know, it's a William Peter. It was Bond very is. well researched. Like that's but Pasusu is is almost like a gargoyle from the Babylonians. Interesting. So they, it was built on really good information. Huh. Cool, cool. Okay, so so we've got these. Uh, where are we in the story now? We've got these sort of um, these ancient the 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 sort of disdain of the foreign and and the impure actions and all these kind of things. Um, and, and people are ascribing these traits to demonic qualities, which interestingly enough. Uh, kind of makes me think of you know racism and and immigrants and you know like the whole issue with telling people saying that we can't have Mexicans come over like like putting these negative qualities on a group of people just blanket slapping you know negative qualities on people for no reason um but I wonder how that how did that really like did people start seeing examples of what they'd consider demonic powers amongst these untouchable types back then? Like, was that something they started creating? How did that really come up? Before, before we, we help uh, anti-Semitic tropes, uh, let's, let's take a step back. So what people say in their holy book and what really happened sometimes have to kind of be worked through. So, Mm. There's been uh, DNA studies from ancient Israelites, and what they found out is that they have the same DNA as the people from Canaan. Hmm. So they're questioning the story of the Exodus, that people were living there, Abraham and his descendants, and then they went to Egypt for 480 years, and then they came back. They're questioning that story, that actually they never left, or they only a few people left, and they came back. So So they're saying that that Israelite religion was actually homegrown. Hmm. And that it, and that, so it wasn't an invasion, as people think. Right, because, right. Because that's where you start dealing with the ethnocentrism and the, and the colonialism and stuff like that. So now there's, there's, that's why history is important, archaeology is important, because you can assume from the text that that's what happened, and there's two versions of what happened. There's one where they actually become friends with some of the Canaanites and they actually cut deals, and there's another version where they slaughter everybody. Interesting. So I, I had a, prof, uh, a, a professor of, of, of theological studies who was saying, he's a historian, he was saying that one version is like the, the legendary version, what people wish had happened, and another version is the more realistic version. So mm. this idea of untouchables, I don't really see that in the, in the Hebrew scriptures. Maybe there's a little bit related to idolatry, like people who start worshiping foreign gods are dismissed or shunned but there's never a racial component there might be something where people from from uh, other areas are seen as suspect but the, the thing is they were in the midst of it and they were slaves and and minorities themselves so 
whenever people start getting like that, you gotta always be reminded of passages in the Torah that says you should um, be kind to the strangers because you were strangers in the land of Egypt. Right, so right. You always gotta think about what were they teaching, what were the leaders teaching, and what was the original narrative, and what were the people doing. So we right. cannot defend someone who was prejudicial back then, but we can defend what the original text said. And the original text said that everybody was created in the image of God, that everybody had the ability to connect to God. And you see even times where their worst enemy, like um, there's a general who was a Canaanite or he was from a different group and he was, he was doing bad things and he gets sick and he goes to Elijah and Elijah helps him get healed. So you see mercy and universalism here and there. It's not the main thing, but it is something. And it says that there was a multitude of non-Israelites who came to Sinai and became part of, of the Jewish people. So there was no, we don't allow these types. And also another one that's very interesting you brought it up. When Moses married the Cushite woman, um, uh, his, his sister said, how dare you? And then she was plagued with leprosy or hmm. a star. So God actually punished her for being prejudicial. And, and all, he, all she says is the country where she comes from. She doesn't say it's because she looks like this. Or because she looks like, I don't like her because she's from a different town and God would not allow that. So, so then we go into illness becoming an act of God. So, so where did it jump from God causing the illness to demons causing the illness? Yeah. So, so there's a shift where, as we were saying in the previous conversation, in Christianity, the devil is the one who causes bad things. The devil is the one who has been given reign over destructive things. In a lot of passages in the, in the Tanakh, you see God is the agent of illness, of destruction, sometimes through his angels and sometimes directly through him. Interesting. Okay. So is that, uh, <laughs> I'm trying to think here, is that where you, is that your proof? Is, was that it right there? <laughs> I'm wondering if I just missed it too quickly. Is well, that... well, the proof is is that the demons can only be whatever you attribute to them. So in Israelite religion, demons are kind of uh, almost like the fifth layer of the, the realm of God. So you have God as a source of everything. God is as, as the one who... Uh, judges people and uh, when Moses um, was afraid of going to speak to Pharaoh says I am the God of your ancestors and I am the one who brings about uh, health and sickness and I created the, the lame and the blind and so so God uh, is described as someone attributing himself with the ability to to make people whole or limited in their abilities or all that and then there's a point where he gives sa'ar to um to moses and they say sa'ar is actually not leprosy but it's a spiritual illness they can get on the wall and stuff like that it's a little superstition a little hard to, to process but there's the idea that god is the source of all that well then you got the angels that he sends in in favor like they go before moses and like the pillar of fire or he sends the angel of death or he sends angels to bring about plagues on the people. And then you have the demons who are the opposite of an angel. 
in Christianity, in Judaism, the demons are the outside forces. So the gods of Egypt, the gods of the Babylonians. So there's this um, almost ethnocentric deity that is the one that takes care of them has a purview that is only to the Israelites. The other deities are for the other people, but they automatically become demonic because they keep you away from the original source. So then, like I was mentioning, if God was the source of illness, then the Israelites couldn't fathom that God would bring about negative um, things to the people that serve him. So then they attribute that to the outside forces. So then that's what you see in the Talmud and the Gospels, that it was the demons who are causing someone to be a um, paralytic or an epileptic. And then Jesus or the other rabbis have to extract that and the person is made whole. So, so but we, we might see that a lot of these stories are actually metaphorical, that the person was dwelling in idolatry and God took them out through the agent of Jesus or some other rabbi. Mm, wow. So what would you then say? <laughs> Let's talk conjuring then, because I'm very curious about this. Um, as, as a mystic skeptic that you are, conjuring really deals with the work of Ed and Lorraine Warren, and or at least a Hollywood version of the work of what they, these, these predominant ghost hunters, demonologists, um, they, they had a place in Connecticut, museum, all their stuff was there. They claim in the movie, at least, that they have hundreds of hours of audio and video footage of these possessions uh, and hauntings and poltergeists and stuff like that. What do you make of that? What was their career? Well, first of all, you have to, this is why uh, I think we talked about it in the other show about how easily people are fooled. Mm. If you know demonology, like we were talking at the beginning of the show, humans cannot possess other humans within uh, Christian um, or original Judeo-Christian perspective. A human cannot, like as a kid, I watched the movie Stigmata. It was mm. one of my favorite movies. And even at that time, when I knew very little, I was like, so the lady had a demon, or the, the lady uh, found the, the scrolls of Jesus, and then she died, and she touched the uh, uh, rosary, and then the girl comes and grabs the rosary, and then now the lady's inside of her, and now she's acting weird, and then she gets a stigmata and starts flying. It's like, how can a human jump to another human at the moment of death through a rosary? And then it starts showing signs of a godly Christian. The stigmatic only comes to people who are holy within Catholicism. Hmm. So the girl was wild and had, didn't believe in God. And somehow Jesus' signs appeared to her. That makes no sense. It's completely ridiculous. Just like right. the movie The Exorcism of Emily Rose. The Exorcism of Emily Rose, she gets possessed. So people believe in the Virgin Mary. Why? At the end of the movie, they say, you know, this happened so the Virgin Mary would be adored by her followers. It's like, so God tortured this girl for months, and she almost died, and then so people can follow the Virgin Mary. And does the Virgin Mary even appear to people to begin with? 
why does this Jewish girl from, from 2000 years ago have anything to do with anything? So if, if you believe that these guys went around exercising people, they were Catholic and they had given a special commission by, by the Vatican for him to be able to perform exorcisms, then he would have followed the rite of exorcism and the rite of exorcism, and, and I have a copy of it, is that you're fighting Satan and his minions. You're not fighting the witches of Salem. Mm. How did we go from the witches of Salem to Satan? So now you're assuming that women who were ecstatic or dancing or influenced by African religion, that they were all Satan worshipers. And somehow Satan gave them the ability to come back in some lady back in the 60s. Come on, man. <laughs> what do you make of the videos? I mean, do they actually have videos? Do they actually have? I know they, there was audio. Audio, I feel like, is trickier. I mean, was it all just suggestion, self-suggestion? Well, it goes back to the premise of the exorcist. If they truly believe it, they're able to make an impact on that. I saw the Conjuring 2 where the house is moving and there's all this older yeah. guy stuff. Like, it just goes back to if that's all you can think of, if you have no other options, then it is going to be demonic. If you walk out in, into the woods in the middle of the night and you think the devil is after you, the devil will manifest because of your, your it's like a subconscious thing. Like, that's the thing that you're going to see. You're not going to see a little rodent. I, I went camping with my wife uh, four years ago and I had seen every single horror movie ever made. And every time that a squirrel, a possum or something moved, I thought I was going to get murdered by, uh, by Jason or somebody. Right. That's how paranoid I was from watching all those horrible movies. Yeah, I mean, it is uh, it certainly can influence thought. I, I suppose the it's just amazing to me that these two people, uh, and this is certainly, you know, I, I, I don't know if you know this about me, David, but I, I'm a certified hypnotist. And I, I've definitely studied a lot of trances and the way people can put themselves into reality tunnels, if you will, or different ways of going through life as you're talking about. If you think there's a demon, it's going to be there. It's fascinating that these people, if demons aren't real, if there isn't any of this, still manage to – I mean it's, it, it's about as real as Disney if that's sort of the perspective, they're like creating a dream world. All those items aren't possessed. Annabelle, all those little things. I mean, they took a something from each of their various investigations. Um, and yet, I, well, I, I guess it really is the power of, it could just be the power of suggestion. Do you think that is a good way to sum it up or is it something else? Well, let's go back to my original premise. There is no demons, but there is demons. And yeah, yeah, I want some explanation on that. I, maybe so the reason I have to, to do that caveat is that for any of our atheist friends who are listening to us, the only way you can make a case for anything is if you disprove it first and then you build up a case for it. You can't assume anything. You can't assume that there's a realm full of little creatures who are trying to get you because mm. then we're living in, in fantasy land. So in the scriptures, there's a passage where it talks about Hasatan or Satan having an argument with God over Job being a good guy or a bad guy. That's why Jews, as much as they would want to dismiss um, 
ancient ideas or even Christian ideas, they have to acknowledge that there is a Hasatan, but they mm -hmm. have to describe him differently than the Christians because they don't want to kind of fall into those mentalities. But we know that before Jesus, there was a group of Jews who believed in a demonic realm. And it was very uh, apparent because they believed that Enoch, one of the, the people in the, in the book of Genesis, went to the different realms and he saw um, um, demonic realm. And, saw, uh, and even in the Talmud, it says that there is a, a Gehinom um, that is uh, it's almost like a hell-like place. And it has some similarities to Hades where um, there's angels that have these whips of... of, um, of thunder and things like that so we got to think about like these concepts are there but are they there for a didactical purpose to instill fear in people who are misbehaving mm. are they there because they are describing something they saw in human terms that they can understand or are, are they there in their purest form as they truly were that's really the debate so as someone yeah. who has spiritual perspective i i can say that that I've been living my life like there is no demons, so I don't live in fear. But I have seen horrible things done by people, horrible things happen in the natural world, that it makes me wonder if there is a negative force that is trying to destroy the work of God or the positive things that happen in the, the universe. So when you have people like, like these two individuals in the conjuring, what are they gaining out of it? Are they doing the work of God by helping people be released from these forces? Or are they charlatans who are trying to become famous? From what I read, they were charlatans. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. I didn't, uh, yeah, I, I need to sort of read more of the skeptical literature on their charlatanism. Uh, do you have any good resources for that off the top of your head? Well, it, it, there's a story, and, and I've been wanting to interview the, the skeptic on it. Uh, there's a movie, uh, Demon House, that came up on um, Amazon, uh, Amazon Prime, and it's a it's a family in the south somewhere where their kid was flying in the air, like he was walking backwards in the in the ceiling, and they heard voices and stuff like that. So this guy who who is a self-proclaimed demonologist or one of those guys, uh, ghost hunter, he buys the house and then he destroyed it, and then he has all these recordings and stuff like that. But very conveniently, he destroyed it, so then people can never verify what he did. And mm. then they, and the guy who investigated this found how a lot of those things were dubious. So a quick Google um, search of you know these individuals, you'll find people who question what happened. And I think that's healthy. If we believed everything that we heard, then there would be a problem because we would be back in medieval times. And oh. my biggest pet peeve with Latin America, where I'm from, is that people fall for every single charlatan that ever existed. Right when the coronavirus uh, uh, became apparent, there was some guy who claimed that he has knowledge from the aliens, that this is the first wave of plagues, and then they're going to send another one to wipe us out. <laughs> right, right. Everybody was so excited, and this kid, and this, and that. And it's like, where? Like, where is this coming from? Like, it's, it's easy to... Um, to believe stuff that is silly, it's hard to look at life as very cruel and very difficult and then take a step back and say, well, what positive things, what non-destructive things are happening and then maybe find hope in that. Interesting. So we're talking about your book, 
uh, available. Is it only available in Kindle edition, or do you have a hard? Yeah, copy it's very it? short. It's, it's it's a paper that I wrote for for my um, program, um, a master's degree, and oh, it's awesome. very short. Is that, and then I made it into an ebook. Um, I wish I was a better writer. I wish I could ramble on. You know, somebody gave me um, <laughs> right Graham Hancock's uh, book about the, the Antarctica and Atlantis, and it was like so thick I couldn't get through it. Um, some people can just go on and on and on. I'm like straight to the point. It's like there's no reason to to get confused and go everywhere. And a yeah. rational perspective does not diminish a mystical perspective. You can have both, and that's the thing with Judaism that you can have polarities and still not lose your mind. Interesting. Uh, huh. Oh man, I was about to ask you wh what you thought about Graham Hancock, but now now you make me want to talk about Judaism. Uh, briefly, Graham Hancock, anything there you think? Do you buy any of the alternative all, uh, alternative history, archaeology stuff? And there was true evidence. It's like I did a show about aliens and how to disprove the alien conspiracy. And the same thing, it's, it's conjecture. You, you grab a little bit, some guy made a map in the 1500s and then another guy made a map in the 1800s and then you put them together and then you show some other things and, and a satellite thing and then you create Atlantis in Antarctica. It's like, come on, man. Go Beckley Tepe, anything there? Anything? <laughs> I know that? the Joe Rogan episode. He's talking about Go Beckley Tepe, Go Becky Tepe. Oh, I don't even know what that is. Oh, I don't know either. It is some sort of proof that, or not even proof. It's always this thing contradicts our understanding of when civilization actually arose. It happened earlier than we thought. I would love for that to be true. I, like, I love sci-fi. I love alternate histories. If, if all his ideas that we had spaceships or whatever before the pyramids and the pyramid is just the tip of some giant thing and you go in there like aliens versus predator and that would be amazing that would be awesome but, but like show me the proof and it's a waste of time like unless you're able to to develop something from from like real sources like they they found some amazing stuff underwater that is like true from uh, ancient history but i love that kind of stuff i think that people need to know more about uh, our history but when you start creating an alternate history that is based on very flimsy information it doesn't do anything for humanity. It's kind of like the ancient aliens. If humans now are um, incapable of doing anything, then it, it really shows like, I think the message behind Graham Hancock and other people is that we can achieve greatness, but then we went back to this dark ages and somehow we need to get there again or, or reconnect with that. Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. But don't uh, give me this uh, dog and pony show to get me there. Like, give me um opportunities like we also talked about the ancient aliens thing with the going to mars and i have mm -hmm. some issues with going to mars but then there's pros also so if we can achieve the the most amazing things as human beings i'm all for it but we got to think about the repercussions of it and i wish that the time that we're spending um fantasizing and and um speculating about the past we would spend it developing things to help us live better in this world then that's also one of the messages of, of of my program is that we need to get back to what can we do to support each other here and not keep destroying what we already have what is your relationship do you connect demonology at all to sodom and gomorrah 
I'm very interested in Sodom and Gomorrah, what that was, what was the culture, how did that form there, if it was real, there was validity to it. Uh, can, you, can you shed some light on that little village? Well, and, and it is, you know, in Judaism, they kind of write it off like they were inhospitable. That's why they were destroyed. And in Christianity, we know the other version. But the one thing that people need to think about, and this is why my book is important, is because I dig out a, a book called The Testament of Solomon. And The mm -hmm. Testament of Solomon is, is like the key between Judaism and Christianity. It's a book that has both Christian elements and Jewish elements when it was still in a nascent uh, state. Because some people say, well, Judaism didn't start until the rabbis wrote the Talmud. Other people say, no, Judaism was already there and there was different types of Judaism. The Jewish, uh, the Jesus Judaism and other kinds, Pharisees, Sadducees, blah, blah, blah. So um, the Testament of Solomon uh, connects a lot of demons to sexual depravity in their perspective. So again, we have to be very sensitive and very careful that there's a lot of stuff that is cool now that back then it wasn't. And it's not that right. we're passing judgment. It's just that, that was the culture. So with that culture in mind, they considered the demons were dwelling in the worship of other deities. And there was cultic practices where you would go into the temple and be involved with a prostitute. And the prostitute was a nun that only serve the man during worship that was in some of the Canaanite religions and I think in the Greeks and the Romans as well so whatever was happening in Sodom and Gomorrah there was some type of sexual component that the whoever wrote the story had a problem with. the issue is how do you address a problem and you know that's we, that's why we also have to think in historical terms um, I've talked to to one of my mentors about how in the History Channel, they'll show the Romans go in and they pillage a town and kill everybody. Well, that's just what the Romans do. The Vikings go in, pillage and kill everybody. Well, that's what the Vikings do. And then when the Israelites did it, how dare they? They're the servants of God. <laughs> how would God, and then the problem is they start talking about God like it's their friend. Well, if you think that the Israelites are bad, is it the Israelites that they're bad or is it the God that told them to do that that is bad? And we can talk about that, about the different versions. And in Judaism, there's actually not, uh, there's a literal version of, of what happened where God was the one that told them. And then there's um, a uh, didactical version where it's, it says that, but we know that it didn't happen because the children will never be blamed for the sin of the fathers. So God forbid that he would kill the children with the adults. Uh, so Sodom and Gomorrah is a didactical version of what maybe happened and and then did it happen through fire from the sky maybe it happened in some other way but the idea is that god was unhappy with their behavior and and their corruption and then, then there was the demise of that place maybe the place fell apart by itself the mayans uh culture was destroyed and it, it uh, imploded and then the people dissipated and lived in other areas Maybe that was a very ancient town that because of corruption, because of, of non-godly behavior, fell apart. And then they created a myth that the people were there and the angels came and then it was destroyed. And that's where people get the idea that it was aliens that shoot lasers or something like almost like Star Trek <laughs> ship game and destroyed yeah. them to save Lot and, and his daughters. But 
it's a very difficult story and to brush it off like oh they were just inhospitable or whatever you know that's what happened back then it's is it has many layers and i would hate for people to to assume that because of what's depicted then the whole story and everything is crap because they're being judgmental or hateful of a particular group what it is 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 the way that the ancient man would describe something that they found problematic mm. wow I, so do you think i mean what what do you was it just that town that was bad or did god supposedly signal out those people what do you think like created the culture of what was going on in there well and and then you know the hero of the story is abraham who was trying to save the people and he's arguing with god he you know in in what religion do you have someone who actually stands in between and puts themselves at harm's way to save the people but then he says righteous so then you have to describe what righteous means so so you see the description of righteousness and then you see the what was unrighteous about that that town and the way that is depicted so um you know they say that it is um somewhere in the in the dead sea and and the whole place is a pillar of fire or the, of salt and that's why it looks like that Maybe they were trying to justify why is the Dead Sea so dead? And they're like, well, maybe God destroyed it. And that's why there's nothing grows there and it's, and it's limited in the scope. But again, not being there and not having had that experience, um, you know, and that's the hardest part is that people can use that to justify uh, hatred or uh, some type of, of, of attack on people that, that they consider to be uh inappropriate and, and that's that's the biggest challenge of religion is that whatever has used from religion to do bad things it has happened so it takes people who are more sophisticated not to do away with ideas from religion but to understand them within the context of what was going on at that time without jumping into conclusions and creating a whole system just based on one story mm. Yeah, you know, I, I, I honestly think if people really want to dig into more of your stuff, I mean, the, the demonology of ancient Israel, the truth about demons, possession, and exorcism, Raiders of the Unknown, is $4.99 on Amazon Kindle. Then you have uh, Heirs of the Kingdom, Jewish Christianity's relationship to Second Temple Judaism, another Raiders of the Unknown, but they're all the Raiders series, um, which is also $4.99. And then the one that I'm interested in, which, you know, you mentioned briefly, I'm curious if you can possibly even in under 10 minutes give a summary, is uh, the Gabriel Revelation, Mysteries and Revelations. Is that what you were mentioning before where you were talking about the, or, uh, the connection between Judaism and Christianity that you were able to pull out? Well, it, the, the connection that I was talking about was in the demonology of ancient Israel where I talked about the wisdom of Solomon. But Solomon oh, had power okay. over the demons, and there's a story in Josephus' writings where they used a, a ring that supposedly was passed on from um, Solomon to exorcise a demon that um, a servant of Caesar had. So most people think of Josephus as, a, as a, one of the first historians, and now you have a story of how would you uh, exorcise a demon in the history of the Jews. So, so it's amazing that um, that it correlates with some of the stories of that Jesus um, exorcism that Jesus did, but it uses a root to be able to take the demon out. 
So there you see connections with Babylonian rites of um, getting rid of demons. But the, the Gabriel tablet is, is a fascinating story and it's kind of gotten muddled uh, through the news cycle because they've been trying to disprove it. So what it is with the, with the Gabriel tablet is that um, someone found uh, a piece of rock that had written in ink um, an apocalypse related to the Gabriel uh, angel Gabriel or the archangel Gabriel. And it's, and it's fascinating because the Dead Sea Scrolls were written in ink on paper. Mm-hmm. And then you find stuff that it was carved onto rock, but this was painted onto rock. We don't even know how it survived, but it has been dated to around the time before Jesus. And, um, and it is a key between the connection of ancient Judaism and the Jesus movement, because as Israel Canole, the person that I feature on the book, talks about, it has it leads into the teachings of Jesus or what is believed had happened to him based on his views of prophecy. So like uh, we started a conversation with, well, to believe in demons, you have to believe in angels first. Uh, the book of Enoch that I mentioned earlier, the it's where people get the idea that the angels lost their way, that they went against God. Mm-hmm. And then they came to earth and they made it with women and then they had children who were giants, is the Nephilim. All that stuff is connected somehow because if all those things are true, then the demons that Jesus was fighting uh, inside people are a part of that realm. The Gabriel tablet talks about Gabriel speaking to the Messiah son of Ephraim, who is um, Ephraim is usually connected to Joseph because those are the children of Joseph. And um, and there's this conversation of him coming and him um, bringing about God's kingdom or something like that. The The most divisive uh, section is where Israel Kunal thought that it was about him being killed and being raised in three days. Hmm. Um, most scholars say that that's not what it says. So people have been trying to find where did Jesus get the idea that the Messiah would die and that he would come back in three days. Um, some make people make the allusion to Jonah that he was inside of the whale for three days with the big fish, but that there's no other source in the in the Torah or in the Tanakh that talks about that. Well, here is um, what they call an apocryphal text or intertestamental between the Old Testament and the New Testament that mentions something about three days. So it makes it very important because there was already a tradition or understanding that something would happen in three days. In Daniel, it says that is like in the half of 70 weeks, it's like um, 30 and a half or three and a, seven weeks. So three and a half, uh, the prince um, is done away with and then he comes back. So there's a lot of, there's, again, it's, it's almost like conjecture. There's like little things that kind of, you can kind of see, but they're not very concrete. And that's where the debate between Judaism and Christianity come is that they think that the Christian community who were originally Jews, they took a lot of very, um, I wouldn't say superficial, but very um, nebulous ideas or, or undefined ideas. And they developed them to fit their perspective versus ideas that were just common. But every group did that. If you study the, the sectarian groups like the Essenes, um, even the Talmudic rabbis, they all took different perspectives and they, incorporate them 
So um, the Gabriel tablet is a very interesting thing that is like now you have scholars finding sources to support that the Jesus movement had a strong tie to Judaism, but it was a very sectarian, very specific perspective. But in what you see in, in, in Christianity and in like early Christianity is a very, developed, very well-developed demonology and angiology. So that's, that's, that's where the key is. It's like before we start talking about demons and all that, why is it that people believe in demons so much is because in the New Testament, demons are playing a role in this war between Jesus and, um, and whoever he's, you know, and, and then he starts making accusations that people who do not support him are involved with the demonic realm, but they make accusations of him too. So they say that the Essenes, they, they did the same, that anybody who wasn't an Essene was part of the kingdom of Belial. Belial is the Satan of the Essenes. And for those who don't know, the Essenes were the ones that wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls. So you right. have Jewish groups who are condemning anybody that doesn't support their perspective as demonic, and then Jesus does the same. So that's where a lot of anti-Semitism comes from, where people misunderstand that he's attacking fellow Jews for not following his path, but other Jews were doing the same, and they're imposing these demonic uh, components. But if you study demonology and you realize that demonology is idolatry, then it's this battle among Jews, who is more righteous, who follows God more faithfully. If you don't, you must be an idolater. Great. You know what? Uh, one final question, and it's it's related to something earlier that you said, and sort of the the, the teaser you left me with the, the first time you were on. Uh, you were talking about if you really want to understand the paranormal, if you really want to understand the supernatural, uh, you have to go back to demonology. Do you have any instance where, you know, a, a modern paranormal show or a show that would talk about exorcism uh, and, and events that, you know, a, a, an investigator would look into? What do you think was the earliest manifestation of demonology turning into that paranormal sort of view like beyond idolatry where it becomes like oh this thing moved and satan or or uh you know beelzebub caused this thing to move do you know do you can you track that historically where people started having instances in the waking world where they were like oh this is some higher being that caused this well if you look at um, ancient man uh, they thought everything was supernatural so lightning, storms, um, rain, everything was attributed to a deity. So then with time, if, the, if um, the triumphant religion, such as the Israelites in Canaan or the Christians in Rome, becomes the all in all, then instead of, of saying that there's a God of water, a God of thunder, a God of, of anything else, now you have the God of all, but anything negative is not from God, so it's demonic. So when you look at the ancient uh, Christian mystics, they would go live in a cave and they would feel hunger and they would feel lust and they would feel um, you know, any type of desire, they would say those are demons. And, and they would paint a, a, a holy man trying to ward off demons to they're trying to get into the cave. So Greek um, philosophy that was incorporated into Christianity brought this hatred of the mundane 
and it was there was some influence of that from Paul. Paul said that the mortal man cannot achieve um, divinity or, or connection with God, that you have to connect with the spiritual. So there was already this Hellenistic idea that everything human was filth and everything spiritual was was wonderful. So so suddenly everything became demonic because it wasn't under the control of God. So when you were a monk and you had no sexual desire, no um, desire for riches. So going back to Buddhism, now being like a Buddhist is bad uh, or actually is good. And everything that is related to the self is evil. So, so I would hate to fall in the same trap and say that people who seek self-fulfillment and self-love are going in that route, but it can become destructive. And an ancient man was willing to fill it up with demonic and, and these crude perspectives. You know, they would paint the demons with multiple eyes and, and, and every, every creature they saw that was dangerous, like a viper or a bat or whatever, became the demons or they were demon forces. So the fear of nature brought about this fear of demons. And now I think it's sad that the modern man who knows that all those things are not there are going to be worried because they hear a squirrel on their roof that that's a demon. So, so the paranoia that it creates is actually not helpful to, to reach those higher spiritual realms. Wow. That makes a lot of that. No, that makes sense. That makes sense. Well, look again, uh, you can definitely hear more of this fascinating insight from mystic skeptic radio show slash podcast with David Daniel Gonzalez. Uh, we will put the links to the demonology of ancient Israel, the truth about demons, possession and exorcism, as well as the rest of the books in the Raiders of the unknown series in the show notes. Uh, again, thank you so much for coming on. It's such an interesting, another great episode uh, for me. I learned so much. Really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you. My idea is to do a week where I start from like really skeptical minded to by the end of the week like I'm being like well maybe maybe things do exist maybe maybe there are spirits but you know what it couldn't just be one week because the conversation is what I'm having all the time I'm fluctuating in that rational space between skepticism and belief constantly fluctuating part of the journey of this show is taking the ride going through the different worlds in the theme park i'll tell you right now i never thought i'd ever go on rock and roller coaster at disney's hollywood studios and i was pushed to do it and now i'm going on superman at six flags i'm going on the bizarro coaster i'm going upside down and all around now i still won't go on one of those topsy-turvy like isolated rides or or the um what's the ride where you they they put the stuff on you it, like like the the outdoor tower of terror um and then like you shoot to the top of the tower if they have one of those things where it's like open dangling your feet and then they flip you upside down and it's like an isolated kind of upside down thing like still scared still terrifies me i think that to me is speaking to angels in the spiritual realm like i am much more into the meditation i have hypnotized people i very much value the i mean i see what happens with hallucinogenics and, and the shamanistic stuff i mean i think there is something to explore there 
obviously you hear it in my voice, especially the spiritual-minded people listening. You, you, you can hear that I'm not fully all the way there, but I've ridden the rock and roller coaster of spirituality, and I'm excited to keep exploring this theme park because who knows? Who knows where I'm gonna go next? But you know what? This episode, we got to uh, we we got to some baseline. Like, hey, here's why. Here's why this doesn't make sense if you're to look at it historically in the root of where demons came from blaming where demons demons are just finger pointing you know they, they're the original finger pointing eh, terrible demon you're terrible demon 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 so the next time you call your significant other a demon just know you are serving the work of the biblical history don't do it none of you do it Thank you for listening. This has been Open Loops. I'm Greg Bornstein. Take care, everyone.